The process of applied functional science is the transformation of the notion into the motion. From the Gray Institute, this is the Gray Institute podcast. Gray Institute is internationally acclaimed for its innovation, development, mastery, and delivery of Applied Functional Science, AFS. AFS is based on scientific truth, not theory, of how the human body moves in all three planes. AFS allows movement professionals like you to apply the best, most effective, and most efficient movements to any individual based on specific needs and goals. For 40 years through training, education, and mentorship, Gray Institute has equipped over 150,000 professionals with comprehensive knowledge and the principles of applied functional science, AFS. Whether you're physical therapists, personal trainers, athletic trainers, chiropractors, strength and conditioning coaches, coaches, physicians, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, osteopaths, physical therapy assistants, or kinesiologists, our goal is to help you become the go-to movement professional. Welcome to yet another Gray Institute webinar. And I consider these webinars a treat from where I sit. Uh, but this webinar is even a bigger treat for me for where I sit because I have two of my heroes alongside me here for this webinar. And of course, Dr. David Tiberio and my father, Dr. Gary Gray. And in this webinar, as it's entitled, The Functional Approach to Shoulder Impingements, we essentially want to cover three big topics with you, the amazing viewer. The first topic is going to be understanding traditional versus functional approaches to shoulder dysfunctions. The second topic that we want to cover is chain reaction biomechanics of the shoulder. And then the third and final big topic that we would like to cover is functional applications to shoulder impingements and other dysfunctions. But before we get into all that goodness, what I'd like to do is introduce Dr. Tiberio and Dr. Gray to you all. Dr. T Tiberio, of course, I'll let him talk a little bit more about himself, uh, but he alongside Gary are co-creators of our gift program that started in 2007. And equally important, Dr. David Tiberio serves as the academic dean, not only of gift, but the entire Gray Institute and has just an amazing track record. And what I can say about him is there's no better person in the world, and I will stand by this comment, that knows biomechanics alongside the research and can correlate that properly. He's an amazing individual who I certainly want to welcome. And then, of course, Dr. Gary Gray, my father, serves as the CEO and chief content creator at Gray Institute and, of course, is just uh, my best friend, my mentor. And so on behalf of the viewers, on behalf of everybody that's going to be watching this in the future, I want to welcome both David and Gary to this webinar and like to give them the floor to welcome you as well. Well, thanks, Doug. And that was a very kind introduction. I think the most important uh, thing that I can say about you and your dad and all of the people at Gray Institute is I was fortunate to run into your father in 1983. And that has changed my life. And we're all on this journey, the journey of understanding human function. And the gift program, as well as all the other initiatives at the Gray Institute, are focused on that allowing us to look at how the human body moves, how it works, what drives it, and then be able to put that into different packages that allow movement practitioners to be more successful and better able to serve their clients. We definitely do want to welcome you all, and uh, for uh, it sounds kind of kind of sound like a love fest to you all. But uh, we do all uh, love each other, and uh, are blessed to be able to uh, work together and to try to figure this thing we call the human body out and how it moves and and how to just make it move better and feel better. So uh, for me, it's an honor to have you join us. Uh, of course, it's always an honor to be alongside. Uh, uh, my uh, mentor, uh, Dr. David Tiberio, and my other mentor and hero, uh, Dougie. So uh, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. 
Uh, we're going to approach this as we do everything. We're going to try to look at it very scientifically. And uh, hopefully by the end of this uh, webinar, you'll have a couple more ideas to uh, help people and to enhance their lives. So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, well, thank you both for that. Uh, and again, welcome to this webinar. And as we kick it off with this first topic, understanding traditional versus functional approaches to shoulder dysfunctions. Just in the way we word that topic, we understand that there is a probably significant difference between traditionally how we look at the shoulder and functionally how we look at the shoulder. So if I could just toss that over to you both, go ahead and unpack what it means to differentiate the functional approach between the traditional approach when we're looking specifically to the shoulder. Uh, Davey, why don't you take a whack at that first? Just, uh, just if somebody came to you and said, hey, um, we, we still know a very traditional approach is taken to many shoulder dysfunctions and uh, rehab of the shoulder, training conditioning of the shoulder, yet at Grace, you guys talk about this functional approach. Just kind of in general terms, what would you say the major difference is? Well, I certainly have a, maybe a unique perspective on that, having taught in an academic physical therapy program for 26 years. And as I see how applied functional science has evolved, it's become a little clearer to me that there's nothing generically wrong with tradition. Unfortunately, some of the things that we were taught in the past have turned out not to be true. And so what you and I and many others have seen when we actually work with clients and patients is what we were taught in school doesn't seem to be the truth. It's not how someone moves. And so as I look back on my training and then the training that unfortunately in some places still exists, it's that we're looking at every joint in an isolated way. The goal seems to be to learn as much about a particular joint or even a, a single muscle isolated from the rest of the body. And so if you think about traditional in that term, in the sense of being isolated, then apply functional science and what the Gray Institute has to offer is exactly the opposite. It's integrated. We try to integrate everything through functional global so all the parts are working together just like they do when any of our clients go out and do anything, whether it's a sport or it's the most basic activities of daily living such as walking, lifting, etc. The body works together as an integrated system. I think that's, uh, I think we could probably spend the rest of the webinar on that, uh, Dave. I think you stated that beautifully. Uh, a lot of times it's as simple as looking at how the part really functions and then looking at what we've done clinically to try to get the thing to function. So I know back in the 70s, you and I both looked at the knee and the science back then was keep the femur still and just make the leg go back and forth. In fact, we spent $40,000 on pieces of equipment that would force that to happen. However, at the same time, you and I both looked at what was being done at the shoulder, where we'd see people just kind of standing and maybe have some TheraBand and doing a little bit of this for external rotation, a little bit of this for internal rotation. And we saw the same thing. We saw this bone moving, but we didn't see the bone that should probably be moving even more, and more significantly, we didn't see that moving. And more importantly, we didn't see the other bones associated with it. So in terms of the knee, we didn't see the femur moving, we didn't see the pelvis moving, we didn't see the trunk moving, and every time we saw a knee move and function, all those things were moving. Or as you said, Dave, they were integrated. And the same thing with the shoulder. We look at the shoulder and go, I'm not really sure that's how it was designed to move, and therefore we challenged the way you and I were taught to get it to move in the clinic and basically said, we think there's got to be a better approach to this, and I think the summary of that would be uh, it's a chain reaction integrated approach where we emphasize 
perhaps uh, more than most people what the scapula is doing. Uh, we like to know what the humerus is doing and what the forearm is doing, but we really emphasize the scapula and of course it lives on this big rib cage and therefore we have to really emphasize the thoracic spine and we know the thoracic spine via the biomechanics of the lumbar spine is dramatically influenced by what the pelvis and the hips are doing and we know that's all driven by what the feet are doing so uh, the integrated approach as you said Dave is we are very interested in what's happening at the subtalar joint at the same time what's happening at the shoulder and everything in between which I think you said it even better it's just an integrated approach and it's really just that that integration that I think we kind of want to hone in on that you know the shoulder is a joint but it doesn't need to function in isolation because it doesn't function in isolation in everyday life so if we're talking about somebody that likes to lift or somebody that wants to pick up their children or their grandchildren or maybe someone that throws a baseball or a softball or football or someone that just needs to reach throughout the day a lot of times that shoulder is put at risk because maybe another part of the body is letting it down. So we not only need to take a look at the shoulder, but we have to take a look at the shoulder with relationship to the rest of the body because that's where it gets its power. But sometimes, most of the time, that's where the shoulder's put at risk because of the rest of the body. And you guys properly identified it, that it really comes down to understanding our chain reaction biomechanics. How the rest of the body feeds the shoulder, and how the shoulder, of course, feeds the rest of the body. So as we get into this second component here of this webinar, I have another treat for you viewers that what we're gonna do is we're gonna give you a glimpse into an actual video, an actual webcast from our 40-week mentorship program called GIFT. Now, we're only showing one clip from one video, and GIFT has about over 700 videos throughout the 40-week process. But this specific clip that we wanna show you talks about the chain reaction biomechanics of the shoulder. And then we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit more after you watch this clip on what else the webcast covers, but ultimately relate it back to the triplane motion that the shoulder facilitates in conjunction with the rest of the body. So without further ado, take a peek here at this clip on the chain reaction biomechanics of shoulder from our gift program. So gifters, the function of the shoulders is very similar to the function of everything else that we look at. It's what it does is what it does. Uh, let me tell you what I mean by that. As you know, especially if you compared what you've learned so far in GIFT with your traditional learning, there's a big gap between what we were told is happening and how we then apply that compared to what we really know the truth of what happening is and the strategies that are developed from that truth and of course the techniques that emanate from the strategies. The shoulder is no different. Uh, it's quite significant in that we weren't told the whole story on how it works. And therefore when they then said, and here's what you need to do to strengthen the shoulder or create mobility in the shoulder, or here's what you need to do to make the shoulder better for that activity, um, without knowing the truth, we were misled. And a big part of our understanding of applied functional science allows us to say, here's how it really functions. Strategically, here's how I really want to do it in order to get it to function better and to allow it to be rehabilitated. Uh, and therefore, here's what the techniques look like. And so, hang on. Um, but if I just said, hey, just stand up and start moving around and letting your shoulders move, and in this case, letting the hand be a driver or the hands be a driver and explain what's going on, you would have it because you're being trained as a applied functional scientist to observe and to then describe what you observe because that is the truth. And so we're going to take a look at the function, the biomechanics of the shoulder, the same way we've looked at the rest of the body, and that is to simply say, when the body does that, here's what all those segments are doing. And when those segments come together, we call those joints. Here's what's going on at those joints. And it's going to empower us uh, to really come up with powerful strategies to help people with any type, of, any type of upper quadrant dysfunction. And you're going to find out that a lot of things that we really never contributed to 
the shoulder causing, the shoulder can cause. The shoulder can cause hip dysfunction. The shoulder, believe it or not, can cause foot dysfunction. Uh, the shoulder certainly can cause back dysfunction. The shoulders certainly can cause neck dysfunction. And the more we know about the integration of that joint with the rest of the body and the rest of the body with that joint, the better off we're going to be. So we're going to start just from an observational level and start piecing things together. And we'll be going through a series of these types of lectures where we'll then say, well, then so what? Strategically, what does that mean to me? And then as I design programs, how do I tweak in? How do I tweak out? How do I tweak up? And how do I tweak down? In other words, how do I scientifically, logically use these strategies in order to help someone? A lot of the dysfunctions of the shoulder that we blame on the shoulder, as you know, aren't the shoulder's fault. And that you're going to find is going to be extremely beneficial for you and the rest of your career to be able to say, yeah, I know they told you that was an impingement. I know they told you that was a weakness of the rotator cuff. I know they told you that was adhesive capsulitis specifically dedicated to the shoulder. I know they told you this, but we're going to take a look at the whole body and take advantage of what the whole body knows about the shoulder and what the shoulder knows about the whole body. So instead of me keep jibber-jabbering, uh, if you want, it'd be kind of nice if you kind of stood up and did this with me, but uh, sometimes I like to watch and then get up, replay it and do it. So however you're comfortable with that, that's what I would strongly recommend. But let's start really simple in the transverse plane. And in the transverse plane, if I take my hands and I move my hands in, uh, in the transverse plane, this, the, this is the plane that we call the transverse plane, and if I move my arm in the transverse plane, we call that, of course, horizontal abduction and horizontal adduction. Now, it's going to be very important that we distinguish what's happening as far as the motion at the joints relative to the movement that's going on in the segments or in the different parts of the body. We will make sure that we really zero in on that when we look at the specifics of what's going on. A lot of people in the transverse plane will say, well, that's external rotation and that's internal rotation. Certainly, if I, if I look at this bone here and I see that it does this, it's moving and it's externally rotating, very similar to my femur. But if I held my hand up here and then did it, now it is basically what you might call ab and adducting because now it's a frontal plane motion. And so if I move it here and do that, well now this bone literally is a sagittal plane motion, but because it's rotating in the shoulder, they will call that internal and external rotation. Yeah, those are components of what's happening here, but right now we're looking at movement of the arm driven by the hand in the transverse plane. Now, very important that we understand that the humerus integrates with the glenoid, which is the scapula. So many times the scapula is left out of the picture. We talk about the shoulder, we forget about the scapula, the fact that it lives on the rib cage, the fact that it's a very integral part of the thoracic spine, and we go, and so with the shoulder, we're gonna do this to the humerus and that to the humerus, and the scapula is going, oh, wait a minute, you're missing everything, and I believe you are missing everything. Little trivia, 17 muscles have their attachment to the scapula. Um, that's significant, especially when we understand what those muscles are doing to help the scapula relative to the rest of the body. So if you notice, when I do this, everything's moving. So we would consider the shoulder in 3D maps a vital joint. A vital joint is a joint that when moved influences all the other joints of the body. Also what you'll notice is not only is my arm, my upper extremity, moving through the transverse plane, but my trunk is moving as well, my pelvis is moving as well, and my feet are moving as well. And we are able to describe that now. If I take my hand and go through horizontal abduction and hold it here, I'm now horizontally abducted. If I look down my right foot, because of the rotation, is going through inversion, and because of the rotation here in the left foot, it's the subtalar joints going through eversion. You know that, but that's significant. That's gonna be very significant. If I do that same movement and I look at my right hip, my right hip is going through internal rotation, my left hip is going through external rotation. My right knee is going through internal rotation, my left knee is going through external rotation. You know that, You've, you know your chain reaction biomechanics. But we have to begin saying, hmm, 
I wonder, could there be any type of dysfunction going on if I get here and something's happening down at the subtalar joint on the left-hand side? That's a big hmm. Uh, and we, of course, would look at the hip. We'd look at the, the pelvis, the relationship with the lumbar spine, the thoracic spine, of course, the shoulder girdle. Now, another obvious thing that many times people don't see is that when I move my right arm like this, my trunk's moving and my left arm's moving. And so when we see right shoulder motion, all of a sudden I see left shoulder motion. And you go, I wonder how much the left shoulder influences the right shoulder or the right shoulder influences the left shoulder. Yes, a lot, more than you would think. Uh, and therefore we can take advantage of maybe having pain or specific dysfunction of this particular part of the body and go to the other shoulder and do some very, very, very functional things on the other shoulder to start feeding the proprioceptive input and the information we want this other shoulder to, to begin to know and take advantage of. Now, as we know, when we describe motions such as horizontal abduction, horizontal adduction, and everything that's going on there, we need to realize that the motion that I'm going through is not necessarily the position I get into. So, for instance, if I start here and I move and I stop right here, well, I'm certainly in a horizontally adducted position, but I was going through horizontal abduction to get there. I can also get there by going through flexion of the trunk at the same time going through adduction. So, as with any other body part, we have to know from whence it came. In other words, when we stop things and slow things down and say, that shoulder's in that position, we have to then ask, where did it come from? In other words, what motions occurred, not only at the shoulder, but through the entire body that allowed that shoulder to do that particular thing. Very, very critical in our understanding of that as we begin to understand how we load and explode and facilitate what we want to do. You already know where I'm going to go. You already know that I'm going to say, hey, let's take a look at this motion uh, of the shoulder and this big global movement of the body and then simply say, how does it do that? And if we start with something as simple as how does the body powerfully go from here to here? If you stood up and did the same thing and literally pretended like you had a Frisbee and you threw the Frisbee as far as you could like this, you would say, I feel a lot of loading going on in my opposite side hip in the transverse plane. And you'd be entirely correct. What you feel, what you see, what you experience, what you know, don't forsake that because that is truly chain reaction biomechanics. So we would say if you're loading into horizontal adduction to get power into horizontal abduction, the first thing we would want to notice is the internal rotation of the opposite side hip as well as what's going on, of course, in the thoracic spine. In this case, we have rotation to the left. So we have this huge loading mechanism going on. You can already sense and feel that as soon as I go through internal rotation here, the, the butt's going to probably want to bias a little bit of flexion and a little bit of adduction to load the glutes even more. And you see that. As soon as I grab the Frisbee, I, I hunker down a little bit and I lean into that hip a little bit and I let the Frisbee load my left hip in internal rotation and I have a 3D load, a 3D explode so my butt can move my pelvis, my pelvis can move my trunk, my trunk can move my my scapula and my scapula can then grab the humerus and the humerus then can grab the rest of the upper extremity and grab the frisbee and throw that sucker as far as I want to throw it. And believe it or not, that's the kind of layer one of the chain reaction biomechanics of horizontal abduction. Now, you know we're going to go a little more specific into what's exactly going on in the lumbar, really specifically thoracic spine and cervical spine. You know that we're going to take a look at not only what's happening in the three planes of motion at the hip, but what's happening at the foot to allow that to happen. What do we want the foot to be doing as well in order to create stability and power for the hip, for the trunk, for the rest of the body? Here is something I want you to really grab onto and understand because as we really get our hands around understanding the shoulder, understanding that where the humerus goes to load in that plane is exactly where the scapula goes. Not only is it where it goes, it's where we want it to go. And you'll see specifically with our FMR techniques, if I was to say, hey, 
check somebody's ability to horizontally abduct, immediately you would see us kind of sneak behind them, getting to do that, but grab their scapula and see how well that right scapula will go around the rib cage to load all those posterior muscles eccentrically so now they can contract concentrically to throw the Frisbee. Now, when you know we're going to go deep with some of these muscles because they function econcentrically, but right now just kind of think very kind of superficially but globally, this is eccentric load with a concentric production of force. Now, again, I don't want you to just start looking at just the right shoulder. We need to look at what the other shoulder is doing too because now I need this scapula to not go that way, I need this scapula to go this way. So this scapula, I need to go closer to the spine. This scapula, I need to get away from the spine. Hmm, I wonder if this scapula, with some gunkiness here, could inhibit that rotation that would influence the right shoulder. Hmm, I wonder if there are some right shoulder dysfunctions that are caused from left shoulder dysfunctions. So we wanna always be thinking about that, always understanding that. Download the Gray Institute app for exclusive access to resources, training tools, and community. At Gray Institute, we pioneered the field of applied functional science. Now we're excited to offer exclusive updates on movement science, best practices, and other resources to our Gray Institute community of professionals. Our app offers practical tools that can improve both your practice and your client or patient performance. Our app offers powerful tools including access to the HomeFit app, exclusive community forum, webinars and extensive resources, and it's free to download. Download the Gray Institute app today, available from Google Play and the Apple Store. Well, talk about a cliffhanger. Gary did a tremendous job there in that webcast talking a lot about the transverse plane. And you're already thinking, well, I'm pretty sure the shoulder moves in the frontal plane and the sagittal plane, which that webcast then gets into. And even prior to that, Gary drops a huge pearl with relationship to the scapula and the pelvis. And so I'm going to toss this back over to Gary to kind of give us the rest of the story, not only with the frontal plane and sagittal plane motions and biomechanics of the rest of the body, but also that pearl on the pelvis with the scapula. Gary. I appreciate that, Doug. Um, if you don't mind, I'll stand. The, the nice thing about GIFT is, it's, of course, it's 40 weeks and we get to build. So this isn't, of course, the first video GIFT LOC, and it's certainly not the last video. But a big thing about understanding human movement is to look at patterns that develop and things that we can see that we go, how are we going to understand this integration, this chain reaction biomechanics? And one big pearl that Dave and I came up with years ago is any time we saw the shoulder move, we saw the rest of the body move all the way down to the ground, whether it was in the transverse plane, whether it was in the frontal plane, or whether it was in the sagittal plane, we saw everything move. But here's the other thing we saw, that the scapula and the pelvis basically moved in the same plane kind of at the same time. A little bit of different sequencing. You'll see that the pelvis will come out of it a little quicker. But it's kind of like where the pelvis goes, the scapula goes. And we certainly, in our, our GIF fellowship, when we teach our hands-on approach of FMR, it's a real, real uh, helpful thing to know that where I kind of take that pelvis, where that pelvis is going, let's say, in the transverse plane, in this case, it's rotating to my left, that's where I want my scapula to go too. And then when the pelvis explodes, going to the right, that's where my, I want my scapula to go so it clears and so I can get the humerus through there so I don't have what we would call that horizontal impingement. But that's the same in all three planes of motion. So kind of keep your eye on that as we go through the other two planes. Now I'm going to go through this fairly quickly because I think spending a little more time on the practical applications is going to be key. The biggest thing, however, I want you to just concentrate on is it's just not my humerus moving. In fact, it's everything moving. So in the frontal plane, we break it down the same way. We just simply watch somebody move in the frontal plane. They load and explode. So if I have something here and I want to pull on something, if I want to lift something primarily in the frontal plane, my body naturally will take whatever's in my hand and use it with gravity and mass momentum to load. What is it going to load? This opposite side hip in the frontal plane. So I get to load this hip and immediately this hip explodes out, starts bringing the scapula with it. The scapula and all 17 muscles basically now start to lift that 
that arm, and all of a sudden the arm is able to lift. The scapula, if the pelvis is able to continue in its frontal plane rotation into adduction of this hip, that scapula is going to be beautifully positioned to allow me to put my arm up as high as I want without any binding. That's significant. So in order for my shoulder to work into abduction, we wouldn't go, well, let's just do a bunch of abduction exercises. We'd say, no, how does that really happen? And it really happens by this pelvis moving, translating, and rotating in the frontal plane to load this hip into as much adduction as possible. And this mobility turned to stability explodes, turns this pelvis, this side of the hip into adduction where the pelvis now rotates the other way in the frontal plane and translates to the right in order that everything goes along for the ride. Anybody that does anything that is shoulder dominating, it's like throwing a ball or hitting with a racket, they'll tell you that the last thing I want to use are my shoulder muscles. I want to use my trunk muscles, I want to use my hip muscles, I want to use my leg muscles, and that's correct. And that they should also be saying to us as clinicians, the last thing I want to do is be taught proprioceptively in the clinic not to use those muscles in order to facilitate the sequencing and the desired chain reaction biomechanics in order to get them back to function. The best way to get the shoulder back to function is to get it to function the way it functions in, strangely enough, real function. Of course, when we come the other way, I'm grabbing here and I'm pulling down, so now I'm going through adduction, you immediately are a step ahead of me going, well look at the, the pelvis is doing this, Therefore, the scapula is doing this. That makes sense. Now, my humerus is beautifully positioned in the glenoid here to load all the muscles. And now I'm going to explode. I'm already fully adducted on the right hip. I'm going to explode to go fully adducted on the left hip to finish that adduction. The pelvis is now doing this. That's what my right scapula should be doing. And so, like, wow, that's pretty cool. Never really thought about that, but it's a really powerful synergy to not only see, explore, but to take advantage of with our therapeutic exercise and of course our manual therapy. Quickly into the sagittal plane, really easy to see. If I'm gonna bowl or I'm gonna take something here and I'm gonna go up and through flexion, I'm not just going to take it and go through flexion. I'm not just going to do flexion exercises. My humor says, boy, what I like to do first is I like to go the other way and then bring the scapula the other way. So look at my pelvis. As soon as I do that, and I go through hip flexion on this right side. The pelvis significantly internally rotates. That's exactly what I want my scapula to do. I want my scapula to internally rotate to help load the muscles that are going to ultimately explode it up into flexion. Then I need huge what we call pelvis posterior rotation, getting through hip extension in order to get that scapula now to posterly rotate so I can get my arm up without an impingement. And so I need both ends. I need a good mobility into flexion and I need explosion and extension and I get, need good mobility into extension to be able to come back and to actually facilitate that desired motion of flexion. Of course, the big one that we see problems every day that lead to shoulder problems, that lead to impingement problems, it leads to cuff problems, it leads to elbow problems, it leads to wrist problems, it leads to neck and back problems is now we're going to take the arm and if I come over the top just like I'm throwing, if I stay predominantly in the sagittal plane, of course now I'm going through extension. But in order to get to that load that extension properly, I have to have the ability to get my scapula back so that can be loaded. How many kids or how many of us adults don't have good extension through the thoracic spine? good what we call extension to the scapula and even more importantly extension to the hip so that chain reaction occurs so that humerus goes now I can be effectively loaded most of us don't have that that's why we see so many shoulder problems and so many elbow problems so I need huge extension through the entire body my anterior chain has to be a beautiful thing of mobility and then when I load it I explode into extension and bring my arm forward. Now again, the scapula went from here, now the scapula is going here, the opposite way in the sagittal plane. And we go, hmm, it seems like we're going to maybe use some of the similar tools, some free weights, some bungee cords, some things like that, but it seems like we're gonna use a lot of mass and momentum, and it seems like we're gonna get the whole body moving, and it seems like we're gonna spend a little more time looking at the scapula and the thoracic spine and the rib cage, and the trunk itself and the pelvis and the hips, and of course, appreciating the feet, 
more than we're even going to look at just the humorous moving, where very traditionally we're kind of, if you see a lot of the pictures of rotator cuff exercises and a lot of training, everything is very stationary, static if they're standing or if they're laying, of course, the table stabilizing them. And the only thing you see moving in that particular exercise is the humerus. The proprioceptors are saying, this is not at all what I want. The muscles are saying, this is ex definitely not what I want. And obviously the shoulder joint itself is saying, no, I need, the, I need my buddy, the scapula, to be moving. So that was its quick overview, real fast overview, but hopefully an appreciation of what we would call the pure biomechanics of the shoulder in the pure planes. Of course, most things are done in all three planes together, uh, but that helps us break it down to understand where potentially some of the problems are. Well, Gary, that was just a beautiful description of the movement in the other two planes. Uh, I think the viewers can see that the same consistency between the frontal and the sagittal that they saw in the video from GIF. Uh, what you've also done in describing that entire chain reaction is to identify the potential probable suspects that we may bring up in our third segment. But I just want to end this segment a little bit by emphasizing some of the things that you talked about. Because when you showed them and described clearly where the scapula needs to go and the fact that it, it has to follow the humerus and the thoracic spine is going to follow that, we in the gift journey are going to emphasize not only the real bone motion of the scapula, but how much it moves relative to the humerus and how much it moves relative to the thoracic spine. Because it's not just the real bone motion, but the motion of the scapula relative to its neighbors that allows us to load and explode. And so that load to explode that you described also would be highlighted in something called the transformational zone. When we change directions, and there's a sequence that we have to learn that makes movement not only effective, but efficient and powerful. And that's something else that's focused on and emphasized in the gift journey. And finally, you mentioned mobility and stability. But you coined the term most stability to shorten that, but you also coined the term most ability. So we have to recognize that bones need to move but the muscles have to be able to stabilize those bones during the movement if we're going to have that most ability from the ability of bones to move but be controlled. And if we don't train it that way, if we go back to the beginning and said, what's traditional? Well, the traditional is the isolation where only one joint is moving. The body can't learn most ability. The traditional is a lot of passive work stretching it out where the proprioceptors are turned on and the rest of the body is positioned on a table instead of upright. And so again, those proprioceptors are confused about what we're doing and the body's saying, I don't know how to utilize what you're doing here. I don't recognize it and ultimately we'll say that even if you give them a resource, they won't be able to utilize that resource because it's so far from authentic function. Ask yourself, are you looking to reconcile differences and inconsistencies in your movement education? Do you desire to know more about how the body truly functions, how it truly moves? Are you treating or training causes or just the compensations? Do you want to be able to treat or train any and every patient or client effectively? Are you looking to rejuvenate your career, enhancing your passion and purpose? Do you want to share an experience with other passionate movement professionals? GIFT, Great Institute for Functional Transformation. Transform your career and transform your patient and client's lives. We're proud to offer two program options for GIFT 2022. GIFT Fellows will have the opportunity to complete their fellowship entirely online or to attend two GIFT gatherings in addition to their online mentorship. This will provide GIFT Fellows with the flexibility they need to stay nimble in our ever-changing world. GIFT is a 40-week mentorship program in applied functional science. GIFT provides certification in functional manual reaction as part of the 40-week mentorship program 
as well as being credentialed and recognized as a Fellow of Applied Functional Science. An FAFS has the knowledge, analytical ability, and hands-on manual skills necessary for the application and integration of the core content of the GIFT curriculum, thus strategically designating you as a member of a select group of practitioners synonymous with the highest standard of care in the functional analysis of human movement. The program begins Thursday, February 3rd, 2022, and concludes the week of October 31st, 2022. Apply now at grayinstitute.com. Well, I think a lot of what you guys just said, of course, gets my head spinning, hopefully in a strategic manner, uh, as well as our viewers, because you've given us a lot of insight into not only just how the shoulder functions, but more importantly, how that function relates to the rest of the body. And just kind of coupling what Gary covered in the GIFT webcast of that horizontal motion of the shoulder or that internal and external rotation, when you kind of see that internal rotation or that horizontal adduction, in order for that motion, whether it's the load or the explode, to be successful, you immediately have to take a look at the thoracic spine's ability now, and when I'm horizontally adducting my shoulder, to left rotate, which immediately then affects the left hip's ability to go through internal rotation and the right hip's ability to go through external rotation. And then looking the way down at the feet, the left foot ability to invert at the subtalar joint or the right foot's ability to evert at the subtalar joint immediately start allowed to allow us to, to uh, connect the dots, so to speak, of the chain reaction biomechanics mechanics that really help the shoulder. And all these motions that we're throwing at you, really it gets exciting because we cover those in 3D maps, three-dimensional movement analysis and performance system. But not only do we have to cover those motions from a flexibility standpoint, but what you said, Dr. Tiberio, that it's one thing to have the motion, but you have to allow the body to control the motion from a stability standpoint, that those motions are covered from a mobility and stability within 3D maps that really allows us to start to piece together how the body is connected. But Dave, then you talked a little bit about what we call transformational zones, which is activity specific of a load and explode of a change direction. And a lot of times looking at the function, whether it's throwing a baseball or a softball or a football or picking something up, that what we need to look at the bookends of those transformational zones to really get an idea of not only what the shoulder needs to do, but more importantly, what the shoulder needs to do in conjunction with the rest of the body. So as we kind of jump into this third and final segment of this webinar, the functional applications to shoulder impingements and other dysfunctions, I know what you have planned, Gary and Dave, really talks a lot about probable suspects and practical applications in understanding all this information specific to the shoulder. And Dave, I know that probable suspects is a key thread within our GIFT program in conjunction with a lot of other threads. And just to name a few, the applied functional science, principle strategy technique process, chain reaction biomechanics, functional nomenclature, functional manual reaction, 3D matrix systems, functional muscle function, the simple side of assessment, community challenges, but also what we're honing in right now is really this probable suspects. So I'm excited to see how you guys take all this understanding and say, well, let's look at a couple common dysfunctions, look at the probable suspects, but more importantly, give the viewers practical applications on, so what, who cares, what should we do about it? Before uh, Dave jumps into the probable suspects, which is a huge part, as you said, Dougie, of GIFT, uh, but it's a big part because our GIFT fellows learn the pure functional authentic biomechanics first, and then they all of a sudden go, well, of course that would be a probable suspect. If uh, I said to somebody a probable suspect of having the inability to properly load and explode in horizontal abduction, in other words, I'm not throwing my Frisbee very well, if I would say, well, one of the things that we would want to look at is, as Dougie just said, eversion of the right subtalar joint, you'd go on, are you guys crazy? We're talking about the shoulder. Uh, most of the time when I'm working on the shoulder, we're laying down doing external rotation or we're doing this TheraBand and nothing's moving. But when you understand the biomechanics, where when I load, and you can easily see when I load, as Doug said, my arm dries my thoracic spine, dries my trunk, dries my pelvis, dries my femur, dries my tibia into eversion of the right subtalar joint. If that's not there, that foot will tell the rest of the body, 
I ain't got it. So good luck. You're not going to load as much. And if you can't load as much, now we're going to have that explode through the pelvis. I'm not going to have that explode through the thoracic spine. And I'm ultimately going to put abnormal stress on that posterior cuff. And I'll come in either with an impingement or I'll come in probably with a posterior cuff problem. And we can't go, oh, and that's a bad cuff. Let's just work on strengthening exercises. The cuff would go, no, 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 no. Did you look at the foot? Did you look at the hips? Did you look at the thoracic spine? The three big rocks, my three best friends that have to be in sync. So as Dave goes into that, I think it's critical to understand that probable suspects only make sense once you know how a part really works. In other words, you really need to know your chain reaction biomechanics. That's why we spend so much time on that. One other quick thing, and I'll let Dave take over because this is, uh, again, the forte that he has in GIFT just has this ability to get us to understand how to look at the whole body to figure out what, how we can best help that person, and in this case, their shoulder, is people will say, but isn't there the need for isolation? And the answer is yes, but not artificial isolation. So for instance, if we wanted to isolate and put a little more stress on the cuff, which in some cases it needs, we're not going to go to an artificial position and an artificial exercise. It'll be isolated while integrated. We call that integrated isolation. And so the scapula will still be moving. The thoracic spine will still be moving. The pelvis and the hips will still be moving. The feet will still be moving, but we will position them or do something with another part of the body to inhibit some of the load. So now more of the load and more of the explode has to come from the cuff, i.e. isolated. However, it's still isolated while integrated. And that's going to be a big, big, big key to understanding uh, our probable suspects and understanding our strategies once we identify, hmm, this looks like I think it's coming from the opposite side hip. Now what do I want to do about it? So uh, I just wanted to kind of butt in on that and uh, just kind of share that with you. But uh, turn it loose, Davey, on uh, just your whole overview of probable suspects in general and now specifically for the shoulder. Yeah, great job, Gary. Uh, sort of setting me up as well as letting the viewers see the complexity of human movement, but the simplicity of it comes out in the clip we showed. Because when you talked about the movements, you said, well, just go through it and watch what happens. So once we go through the chain reaction biomechanics in our gift program, it's not a case of memorizing all of the movements. It's the case of trusting that if you go through the movements, you'll see what's going on. The body reveals to us all of those chain reactions of every joint in each plane. And then, as you said a second ago, they're kind of all probable suspects. So there's a two-sided sword to that because... If we have all these things we can work on to get our client's shoulder pain to go away or their, func their function to be enhanced, that's great that we have all these potential places. At the same time, I would say that for most of us initially, it's really challenging to think, wow, there are all those places that I need to look at for probable suspects. And the unfortunate answer to that is yes, you do have to look throughout the entire body, but there are strategies to do that in terms of looking at the probable suspects. And one way to look at probable as an overview is closest. That closest to the glenohumeral joint and the muscles of the shoulder are, is the scapula and the thoracic spine. So those would be the places that we would go to look. And although the scapula can be the problem, and a lot of people now know to look at the scapula, it's funny that that hasn't moved on to the thoracic spine because that thoracic spine is critical to what the scapula needs to do and wants to do. As you said, the scapula wants to follow the humerus, but it can't do it if the thoracic spine doesn't move in that same direction and facilitate it. And then when we go through that transformational zone that Doug talked about and we reverse motion and we explode, again, it's the thoracic spine that's going to have to allow that movement. So the thoracic spine can greatly facilitate what the scapula needs to do, but it can also greatly inhibit the scapula. And so based on what you've said already, they know that the thoracic spine could be inhibited by that pelvis not moving, the hip restrictions, the foot, but 
what we have to do, all movement practitioners have a way to assess the movement of the thoracic spine in each of the three planes, which is really easy to do with 3D maps going through the six chains. And then we have to be able to know how to go deeper and combine those motions, as you mentioned, Gary. But we do that through tweaks of 3D maps with the performance system. And those tweaks might be unilateral hands or going out of plane. But when we start to think about the probable suspects of the thoracic spine, then we have to say, I need to know, one, how to analyze that and assess it, as I just mentioned, but then I have to have some strategies for doing something about it. And that's been one of the challenges I think that we all face is if our clients have trouble lifting their arm up because it hurts, you can't tell them to do it 20 or 30 times and it'll be better because it won't be. It'll be worse. So we have to know the foundational elements of the chain reaction and work on those. And sometimes we can directly work on those and have a strategy, but sometimes we have to use other principles of human movement, particularly the 3D principle, in order to go after that. So let me give a real quick example that you can comment on, Gary. But let's just say I'm a particular client who has impingement with abduction. And so with that impingement, I may be able to do flexion pretty good in the sagittal plane. I might even be able to be good in between. But when I go to frontal plane, boy, that's when it bothers me. And so we have to say, well, where are the first things that we're going to think about as a gift fellow? And the first thing is the load. So you've taught us to go opposite. So all we have to do is say, if the client's having trouble going up, Let's go down. And then what do we see? We see downward rotation of the scapula as a probable suspect. We see lateral flexion of the thoracic spine towards the involved side to the right. As it, And as I do more of that, as you mentioned, you see the adduction on the other side that they're going to have to analyze. And then what we do with the strategies, we can work on those separately without using this arm that may be acutely painful. And then what we do is then once we restore those resources wherever they're limited, then we're going to go directly after those resources, but then we have to integrate it. So that would be a direct strategic approach in that particular plane. We could also say, you know, I know that this is a problem and I'm not very successful with the thoracic spine lateral flexion. I'm not really getting the reaction I want in the opposite side here. Then we would go after those regions, but in the other planes. We would take where they're successful. It could be flexion and extension in the sagittal. It could be rotation in the transverse plane of the thoracic spine. Same thing could be the other two planes of the hip. One of our critical strategies as a gift fellow in applied functional sciences, start with success, build on success. Success begets more success. So a different strategy would be use the other two planes, and then tweak into the plane of dysfunction. So I've talked enough about that, but why don't you try to add something? Or Doug, give us your insight on that. Well, I think you brilliantly covered it, but what I heard from that is that there's a power in the process, and that process in applied functional science begins with the truth and our principles, allows those truths to morph into strategies to come up with the proper techniques. So it's very scientifically driven. And through understanding those principles and those strategies, Dave, you just gave two huge strategies in treating and preventing and trying to really enhance what's going on at the shoulder. Because when you look at shoulder impingements or dysfunctions or compensations or pain, that's what those things are. The cause, majority of the time, is elsewhere. And the strategies that you just identified, it says, see what happens to the body when the shoulder is put at risk and look at the big rocks. Look at the thoracic spine. Look at the hips. Look at the subtalar ankle complex and see maybe what motion and control of motion might be limited that's putting the shoulder at risk. 
That's a huge strategy, which makes, of course, this functional approach make much more sense than let's just treat the shoulder. The second thing that you identified, hopefully it's throwing some people back on their heels, is you said if you can kind of identify the cause, maybe at the thoracic spine, the hips, the subtalar ankle complex, and there's a motion that's really not available, in order to get the motion that needs to be available, go after the motions in the other two planes. Well, that's kind of earth-shattering news to a lot of us, which does make sense that if I can move and groove the body in the planes of motion that are successful, the other plane is going to be put more at an advantageous spot than where it was before. So those two strategies really kind of encapsulate what really we're looking at with the shoulder is the shoulder's kind of on an island and it's at the liberty of the rest of the body. And if the rest of the body isn't allowing the shoulder to be successful, we better take a peek at where the body is letting the shoulder down. Dougie, I, uh, I think your summary of what Dave just went through is beautiful. And I, I, again, Dave uh, just has this ability to take something that I think is relatively complex and simplify it. Uh, another way to look at impingements, impingements is a little bit of a toilet term uh, because an impingement usually starts and then you get a tendonitis and then you start chewing up the rotator cuff and then you get all kinds of spurring. And then you, it's, a, it's part of a syndrome. And what's interesting is to kind of prove uh, what Dave was saying is that in reality, what we need is we need to be able to load. So we need the mobility. That's why we use mo 3D maps mobility in all six directions of the hip and of the feet and the thoracic spine. It, it's almost impossible for me to believe. In fact, I could not effectively evaluate a shoulder without having 3D maps at my disposal. Impossible, because I need to now understand that I need to know the mobility of the hips in all three planes of motion. But then also not only the ability to load, but then the ability to explode, the stability. So now I need the stability part of 3D maps. So I might have somebody do an opposite side lateral chain, and I go, well, that looks pretty good. But when I try to get them to do stability, they just, they, they're not, they don't have the strength to load and explode. Well, Immediately, I'm going, wow, if I don't have the ability to explode and get out of there, I'm not going to be able to create that opposite pelvis motion. I'm not going to be able to create that opposite thoracic motion. And I'm not going to be able to get the scapula to go up. And I'm not going to clear it from the impingement. Impingements aren't impingements of the humerus that are impingements of the scapula not getting out of the way. Here's a real easy way to look at it. And you already know the three major impingements. Sagittal plane against gravity, well, duh. Frontal plane against gravity, well, duh. And literally transverse plane with a little bit against gravity, well, duh. And so you go, well, wait a minute, D do that frontal plane one. Well, the frontal plane one, we gotta load explode, and then load again. But just for fun, go ahead and load if you have the ability to stand up and load your left hip into adduction. That's all we want you to do. Just kind of almost let gravity do it in a kind of an I don't care posture. Now, without exploding, simulate that I got the mobility but I can't explode it out of there, all I want you to do is raise your arm up as high as you can. Well, as you can see, <laughs> mine doesn't go very high. I have impingement. My scapula's in the way. My head of the humerus is hitting going, I don't care how strong you get me, biomechanically your hip did not explode. And so now if I do that and now I explode my hip, all of a sudden my scapula goes, ah, this is what you want, isn't it, Gear? I go, yeah. But then I need to get into the other side hip, as Dave said. I need to get a low into the opposite, the same side hip, the opposite of the left hip, in order to finish the explosion so I get rid of the impingement. So is impingement, in this case, a frontal plane impingement, potentially from the lack of load into the opposite hip? Yeah. Lack of stability to come out of that load? Yep. Or the lack of ability to get into that load and that same side hip? Yeah. And you go, whoa, sagittal plane's even easier to feel. We do, we do our flexion. A lot of binding going on there. All you got to do is give yourself a little bit of hip flexor tightness that we all get just from sitting all day long in gravity. Now, don't let your hip extend. Don't let your thoracic spine extend. Don't let your scapula come back. Just go here and believe it or not, we all have impingement. That's not the shoulder's fault. If we just got done showing that it's the hip's fault in this case or the thoracic spine. And so going against gravity now, is it that I don't have good mobility and deflection? Maybe. Is it because I don't have good stability? 
instability coming out of the flexion? Maybe. Is it mostly because I can't complete into extension and I'm not getting the scapula out of the way? Not only maybe, but most likely. You go, whoa, this is, this is not, now you're covering most of the bases. And then transverse plane, you already know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go here and explode, but if I go here and I don't explode, I hold it here, I get here and I go, oh, doggone it, there's that impingement again. It's not the shoulder's fault. It's the scapula's fault. No, it's not the scapula's fault in this case. It's the thoracic spine's fault. In this case, it's not. It's the inability for me to let my left hip explode from internal rotation to external rotation and then continue into internal rotation, getting the scapula out of the way. So when we say impingement, it's important that it's part of a syndrome that leads to a lot of things, but impingement allows us to see the need for, as Dave would say, the transformational zone loading of mobility, the transformational zone stability of strength to getting out of that transformational zone, and the ability then to change direction of the scapula in order to facilitate the reaction of the glenoid that the humerus wants in order to complete the task. And as we talked about, that motion of the feet and of the pelvis and the trunk are the things that eccentrically load the 17 muscles of the scapula that allows the, those muscles then to explode and move the scapula to actually tell the rotator cuff and tell the shoulder, hey, everything's okay here. Ray Institute's Chain Reaction Virtual On-Demand Experience is December 2nd to 13th, 2021. Enroll today. Learn and experience applied functional science firsthand from the source. You are cordially invited to join Dr. Gary Gray, the father of function, and Doug Gray for an amazing virtual on-demand event seminar that will provide immense value and immediate impact to your craft. Chain Reaction will empower you, the movement professional, to better serve and enhance the lives of your patient and clients in the areas of analysis, rehabilitation, training, and prevention. Chain Reaction is internationally acclaimed and now in its 33rd year. Why is this the longest running seminar in the industry? Because it teaches real life biomechanics, not taught in school or traditional certifications, and a process, not a protocol, to treat or train any and all patients and clients. This has led to seminar participants saying, I wish I would have learned this earlier in my career. Check out these features and benefits for each seminar registrant. Updated and enhanced with focus on ACL prevention, performance, and rehabilitation. Opportunity to be certified in 3D maps for only $100. An ebook to presentation. Access to virtual on demand event for 12 days. View and review information. CEUs 16.5 contact hours based on passing the exam. And a certificate. There is a 445 early bird rate through October 31st, 2021, $495 afterwards. Group rate discounts available. For group rate registration, please call Gray Institute directly at 517-266-4653. Whether you have attended a chain reaction in the past or this is your first opportunity, this truly is an engaging experience that you do not want to miss. It will be momentous to your professional advancement as well as the functional advancement of your patients and clients. Go to grayinstitute.inspire360.com to enroll or check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Well, I think uh, what this is really alluding to is there's a lot more to the story, but the story that's been told right now provides us some very significant strategies to start to treat and train the shoulder by making sure that that shoulder is treated and trained in relationship to the rest of the body. And so as our webinar continues to come to a close here, I'd, what I'd like to do is just wanna take a moment and just say thank you to, of course, everything that Dr. Dave and of course, Gary has contributed, not only in this webinar, uh, but these two are, are very much giants in my opinion, as well as the movement industry's opinion in what they've done with applied functional science, not only for prevention, but for performance, but for rehabilitation. And it's understanding this information that really allows us as movement professionals to continue to do what we do on a daily basis. And that's ultimately understand more about the body so that we can treat and train the bodies that are in front of us on an individualized manner to allow those patients, clients, and athletes to get the most 
out of their bodies. And so I just want to take a moment and say thank you to Gary and Dave uh, for everything that they've contributed in their entire careers to learning more about the body, to gift us with information in order to utilize, to make us the go-to movement professionals. And speaking of the go-to movement professionals, I just want to take a moment and thank each and every one of you for viewing this webinar, uh, because what it's telling me is that you want to learn more in order to continue to do more. Um, and that takes a special heart, a special passion uh, to pursue education as a lifelong journey. And I just want to commend you and thank you for that. And what I'll do is I'll just toss it back over to Gary and Dave so that they too can thank you as we put a bow on this amazing webinar. Well, I'll go next, Gary. Again, uh, I do uh, really appreciate the time that people viewing this have allocated to uh, make themselves better, to be able to serve others better. Uh, I also would like to say, as I was listening to you and Doug, I was reminded of how many threads there are in the gift journey and how much content there is and how, as we get to the complexity, we, we always search for the simplicity because the human body searches for that simplicity. But I was also kind of, you know, mentally remarking on how much of what we're teaching and how you have been teaching, Gary, for 30 years is now supported by the literature and that research is catching up with function. And so I, I really am excited about that, that, uh, that you had us on the path way before it became popular. And uh, I invite everybody else to consider thinking about uh, going on the gift journey. Well, Davey T., uh, it's always an honor to, to do a webinar with you and, of course, to let Deggy kind of guide and direct us, and he just does an amazing job with that. Uh, we've been blessed to hang out together now almost 40 years, which it's, it's hard to comprehend, but it's a, a blessing that I uh, give thanks for on a daily basis. Um, human function is not easy, but sometimes it's as easy as just sitting back and watching how the body moves and not to over contrive it or not to overthink it. And, um, and when you just see the beautiful way that people use their shoulder and so many things, we just wanna reinforce that when we do pro programs of prevention and course of performance and of course even more so in rehabilitation because that, they wanna get that shoulder back to pure function. So thank you for uh, all that you uh, have contributed. Thank you for your amazing guidance direction through uh, the gift fellowship. Uh, I, on behalf of all the gift fellows, are, are thankful for your uh, ability to lead us, to uh, get us to respectfully challenge things, and to get us to uh, truly understand the truths of human movement, come up with powerful strategies and techniques that ultimately will enhance the lives of others. You and Dougie, of course, uh, constantly enhance my life, so uh, thank you, and uh, we're not going to, I don't think we can overemphasize this. If you're watching this webinar at any time, you're the true heroes here. You care. Uh, you're putting in extra time to learn this stuff in order to help people. So we really want to thank you and tell you how much we appreciate you. Thanks for joining us here on the Gray Institute podcast. At Gray Institute, our goal is to do one thing the best we can, and that is to help you become the go-to movement professional. If you have a question for future podcasts or questions about anything Gray Institute offers, including education, live or online specializations or mentorship, please email us at info at grayinstitute.com. Be sure to look for our next podcast coming soon. Have a great day.